So let me ask you a quick question. Have you ever had to deliver a message that maybe you didn't want to deliver? You weren't responsible for it. Like you, you didn't, you know, wasn't, didn't originate with you. You weren't responsible for it, but you were the messenger. How did it make you feel to be the messenger? You know, we have a phrase, don't shoot the messenger. <laughs> you know, there's a reason we say that because, you know, back in ancient times, many times the king would send out a messenger and maybe it's to a people who didn't like the king very much. And he would come in with a message that was from the king and it was binding and it was necessary, but he would come in and he'd say, you know what, hear ye, hear ye, you know, this is important, everybody pay attention. And he would give the message and hope he survived. Now, they all knew, you know, it was illegal to kill the king's messenger and all of that, but, you know, back in ancient times, there was a lot of brutality in the world that we don't deal with in today's times. But yeah, being the messenger for the king was really an important job. Today, we have that same thing in our world. What do we call them? Ambassadors. What is an ambassador's job? An ambassador takes the message of one country and delivers it to another, represents one kingdom to another kingdom. That's what they do. And it's their job to understand how to deliver the message. It's their job of understanding who to give the message to. It is not their job to change the message. It's their job to deliver the message exactly as it was given. Well, the reason for that, and, and we go back to uh, the gospel with this, is that it is the king's appeal to the people. The king's commands, the king's appeal it's what the king wants known by the people. Well, Paul refers to himself in this manner. And we have a little bit longer scriptures, you can see, from 520 to 613, but it's, it's kind of one big section of thought. And so we're going to look through that today and see exactly what it means to be the bearer of the king's appeal. And so... Open your Bibles with me if you have them. If not, it's, of course, on the screen to uh, 2 Corinthians, beginning in 520. And he says, Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Working together with him, then, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in a favorable time I listened to you, and in a day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. We put no obstacle in anyone's way so that no fault may be found with our ministry. But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way, by great endurance, in afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger, by purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love, by truthful speech and the power of God, with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left, 
through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise, we are treated as imposters and yet are true, as unknown and yet well-known, as dying and behold, we live, as punished and yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing yet possessing everything." We have spoken freely to you, Corinthians. Our heart is wide open. You are not restricted by us, but you are restricted in your own affections. In return, I speak as to children, widen your hearts also. Did you kind of feel that? I feel this is a moment where Paul kind of let loose. You know, he's been building his case and he's been defending himself as an apostle against, you know, false uh, teachers and people criticizing him unfairly and saying he doesn't, you know, he maybe didn't care about him because he didn't come visit when he said he was going to. And it's just, there's been a lot going on. And it's like in this moment, he finally just has to just lay it all out there of who he is and what he has gone through and how he feels about it. And you notice he doesn't point a finger really at all. But this got very impassioned by Paul in this. You can tell. Nobody recites a list like that without some emotion welling up. And, you know, it's kind of like, you want to know what I've gone through? Let me tell you what I've gone through. And, and, the, and the floodgate was open. But he starts with a key phrase in this whole thing, and that is that they are ambassadors for Christ. Their identity, their mission, their message, everything about them is defined by God's mission to reach the world with the gospel. Everything they do comes back to that. And so in a sense, we too are ambassadors for Christ in our world. Okay? It is our mission, but it's God's words. The call is to God, not to us. When we call people to, to, to the gospel, we're not saying, hey, pay attention to me. What are we saying? Pay attention to the message. Pay attention to what God has done. God is building his kingdom, not ours. And the responsibility of an ambassador is to relay the message faithfully. And that is all of the message, which Paul does. He warns them about sin. He tells them about grace. He calls them to repentance and he tells them they're forgiven. He relays the full weight of what he is called to do. And he even tells, here's what the message is. We'll go back now, 520 and 21. It says, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Everything Paul does comes back to this one thing, be reconciled to God. Did you know humanity is not reconciled to God apart from Jesus Christ? We talk about God as love, and God is love, but if you want to benefit from that love, you have to be reconciled to God through the gospel, through faith in Jesus Christ. Outside of faith in Jesus Christ, all of us are enemies of God. And there is no in-between there. We are either reconciled to God and part of His eternal kingdom and have our faith in Jesus, or we are His enemy. Enemy. Not just, oh, well, you know, I hadn't figured God out yet and i got a few things in my life to change. You're either in or you're out. 
And that's the message Paul brings. He says, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. How does that happen? He says, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Notice how quickly and clearly he, he just tells them the gospel. You see how he keeps doing this throughout 2 Corinthians. I hope you see this pattern. Every time he starts to talk about the mission, he runs straight to the truth of what God has done in Christ. And what has he done? He made him who knew no sin. Jesus Christ did not have one sin his entire life, his whole life on earth. From the moment he was born until he died, he committed no sin. He followed God in perfect faith, in perfect obedience, in an obedience that led him even to the cross. And he did all of that so that we who are sinful could enjoy and benefit from his righteousness. He made him who knew no sin to become sin. How did he become sin? When he was on the cross the sin of the entire world for all of creation was placed on top of him. That's why when he died, darkness came over the land because the sin of all of creation, past, present, and future, all came on him as the sacrificial lamb of God. Friends, we need not take sin lightly. We cannot take sin lightly. Sin cost the life of the one and only Son of God who was righteous in every way, who was genuinely the kindest, most loving man who ever lived in this world, who was also probably the sternest and strongest man who ever lived in this world. All at once, and he laid down his life so that what? Our sin placed on top of him so that his righteousness could be placed on top of us. It was the most unfair exchange in the history of all of creation that will ever be. Our sin for his righteousness. And that's what he did. Notice how Paul runs straight to it. He says, I am an ambassador for Christ. I implore you, be reconciled to God. And here's how. Put your faith in Jesus Christ. He doesn't mince words. You see, the message is the priority. And how we proclaim it must be in keeping with the message in the king who authored it. Did Jesus ever mince words with anybody? No. Was Jesus belligerent and rude to people? No. <laughs> Was Paul? No. And, and there's this amazing thing that happens that the gospel frees us to love our enemy as ourselves, to pray for those who persecute us, and at the same time stand resolutely on the truth and refuse to be moved. Both can happen at the same time. And that's exactly what Paul is telling us because it, notice what Paul says here. He says, working together with him, then we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in a favorable time, I listened to you. And in a day of salvation, I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. 
We put no obstacle in anyone's way so that no fault may be found with our ministry. You see, for Paul, as an ambassador for Christ now, there is a sense of urgency for what he's doing. When he says don't receive the, the, the grace of God in vain, he's not talking about that you can be saved and, and then you know, lose it somehow. What he's saying is the grace that God has given, the fact that you hear the gospel of Jesus Christ is strictly by the grace of God. We would know nothing of God if he did not reveal himself to us. We would know nothing of Jesus Christ if he did not gracefully announce the gospel and tell us the truth of it. And so in a sense, we are receiving the grace of God just by hearing the gospel. And he says, don't receive that in vain. Be reconciled to God. Believe it. Put your faith in it. And he says, then the reason is that he said, in a favorable time I've heard you, in a favorable time I've helped you. And he says, that's today. God has moved in history. Everything is done. Everything is in place for us to be saved and experience the kingdom of God in our own lives. You see, before Jesus came, faith had to be forward-looking in the sense of, I believe the Messiah is coming. And that's how people in the Old Testament were saved. They looked ahead I believe the Messiah is coming. It was still faith in the Messiah. It was still faith in Jesus in that sense and faith in what God was going to do. But it was a faith that was still kind of cloudy, we could say. Where we have the benefit of what? We get hindsight. We get to look back and say Jesus came, died on the cross, was resurrected from the grave. It's a historical fact that cannot be disproven. We see what's happened, and so now today is the day of salvation. We have no excuse to reject what God has done. Everything has been removed. And he says, as an ambassador... For Christ, not only is he telling him today is the day of salvation, he also says, look, I'm not going to do anything to hinder that message. What, what did he say? He says, we put no obstacle in anyone's way so that no fault may be found with our ministry. Now, I love this because this is Paul saying, I don't dare mess with the gospel. I don't dare mess with the message that God has given me. I'm going to tell you the truth. I'm going to put it there, and it's up to you to believe it. But nobody's going to be able, you know, basically Paul is saying, nobody's going to be able to look at me and say, oh, I couldn't believe the gospel because of him. He says, nope, that's not going to happen. I have done nothing to bring ill repute. I have done nothing to hinder the spread of the gospel. Everything I do is to tell you the truth and to implore you to be reconciled to God. Now, I want to ask you a question. Do you have that same resolute spirit in your life of sharing the gospel with the world around you? Do you have that same sense of urgency that you have the answer? If you are born again, you have the answer that all of humanity is searching for frantically. Do you feel a sense of urgency to share it with others? As an ambassador... You're not the king. It's not your responsibility to enforce it. It's not your responsibility to uphold the kingdom. It's not on you. What is your job as an ambassador? Share the message. That's it. 
and put no obstacle in anyone's way. So suddenly the Christian life gets a lot clearer. What is that? Share the message, speak the truth, and put no obstacle in their way, which means what? We've got to live what we say we believe. Now, are we perfect in it? No. Was Paul perfect in it? No. He wasn't perfect, but he, nobody could look at his life and say, you know what, he consistently is, is messing this thing up. They could look at his life, at the overarching uh, you know, theme of his life, and say, yeah, he's, he's consistent to what he is teaching. Are you consistent in your life to the gospel? Because all born-again believers are called to be ambassadors for Christ. We are called, we are. He, he told us what? He says, you are the light of the world. He didn't say you'll become the light of the world. He didn't say some are brighter lights than others in the world. What did he say? You are the light of the world. See, because here's the truth. If we as the church do not speak up and share the gospel, who will? Who, who's going to do it? Do you think the unbelieving world's going to be like, you know what, we also heard there's this philosophy about this guy named Jesus. It's, it's our message. He has entrusted it. He has entrusted the gospel to the church to share the message of salvation with the world. And there is no plan B. Plan A is that God is going to share the gospel through his people. People reaching people. And that plan has never changed, ever. Since Jesus ascended into heaven and he said, therefore all power and all authority has been handed to me, therefore go make disciples of all nations, that has not changed since then. We are all ambassadors for Christ. Now, where are you called to serve as an ambassador? Your everyday life. Your circle of influence you have a circle of influence that is completely unique to you. No one else in the world has your circle. Now, can circles overlap? Yes. But there is still a circle of influence that you personally have that no one else in this world has. And, and to me, that's exciting. Because that's what, when we get to heaven as born-again Christians, I think one of the things we're going to see is God's going to show us the influence that we had. You know, we do talk about, you know, there are rewards in heaven for what we do. And I think part of that reward is how did you share the gospel? And it's not always that we're, you know, announcing. It's how we love people. It's all works together. Did we walk in the light so that we could share the light with others? We, we have to do that. But our influence is bigger than we think it is. And you don't have to be up here like me to be an effective ambassador. You know, technically speaking, according to Ephesians, my job is to teach you how to go out and do it. For this reason, he gave some to be apostles and prophets for, pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. You see, we've somehow gotten this backwards that what I'm doing right now is the work of ministry, and it's not. Mine is the work of training so that you can go out and do the work of ministry. And what you do as an ambassador for Christ matters. It matters. And there's a, a really 
hard truth in this that I please listen to this and, and take it to heart. Let it encourage you, but let it also strengthen you at the same time and ready you is that there is no promise of ease within this call. There is no promise of ease. Okay, I go back to again, you know, the phrase, don't shoot the messenger. Christians should really be the ones that kind of understand that phrase the best. Because what he is calling us to do is to take light into a dark world that is hostile to the light. And we are called to do that. We are called to storm into darkness with the light and and to share it. And and that's going to cause ripples. I mean, it's going to cause problems. It's going to get pushback. You think our enemy is just going to give up the ground and say, okay, yeah, you know, Christians are here. We got to retreat. Let's, let's just let them have all of it. Our enemy is going to fight back with everything he's got. And that's just the enemy. We also have unbelieving world and sinful humanity that's going to fight back with everything it's got. Because darkness does not like the light. And so we have no promise that this is going to be a smooth road. We have no promise that, that it's going to work out the way we want it to. Remember, Paul has already addressed this. Remember he said we, we, we despaired even of life itself. He thought he was going to die. I mean, he was like, I'm, this is it. This is it. It's over. And, and it literally became too much for him and it overwhelmed him. And, and it was like, well, that's it. I, that's, it's over. And then God rescued him. And he's like, huh, and I'm still here. I guess God can rescue me even when I think I'm going to die. And it changed the way you look. But we are going to have this resistance. We live in a broken world, and some that, sometimes that brokenness is going to land squarely on us. Sometimes we're going to run right up against it and sharing the gospel and living the Christian life. And we are at war. And so I want you to listen again to this list. Look at this list that he has. He says, but as servants of God, We commend ourselves in every way. Now, when he says we commend ourselves, he's saying, here's the proof that I'm a servant of God. Okay, you ready for this? By great endurance in afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments. Now, how many are already saying, oh, sign me up? This this sounds like my best life now. This is what I want. I mean, who doesn't wake up and say, you know what? I think I'd like to cause a riot today. But that's exactly what Paul, he went into Ephesus and he starts leading people to Christ. And they're like, oh, uh-huh, uh-huh. you are destroying all of this. You're, you're messing up our economy. You are messing with our goddess over here, Artemis. You are messing, no. And they have this riot. That Paul, Paul's like, hey, I'm going to go out and talk to him. And they're like, no, Paul, no. No, not this time. You don't get to go out there. And so, what are riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger, by purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love, by truthful speech, and the power of God, with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left, through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise. We are treated as impostors and yet are true, as unknown and yet well known. As dying, and behold, we live. 
You think he, I mean, he meant that. He's like, I thought I was dead, yet I'm still alive. This is what his life is. And he's saying, this is the resume of an ambassador for Christ. This is what it means. And we have gotten so caught up in our modern world with comfort. You know what? I'm not opposed to comfort. I'm not. You know, if I have a choice between discomfort or comfort, I'd just assume it'd be comfortable. But if God calls us into discomfort, you know what? We've got to toughen up. We've we got to toughen up and just say, you know what? If God wants it, I'll get through it. And if I don't get through it, I get to go home. So either way, I win. Either way, God wins. But we get so concerned with making our own lives something special that we forget we already have something special. And that's what he says here. He says what? He says, we live as punished and yet not killed, as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing, as poor, yet making many rich. His joy isn't that his own life is working out wonderfully. What is his joy? That he sees the gospel spreading and people are genuinely becoming rich in God. That people are becoming rich through the gospel, that their spirits are coming alive, that lives are being transformed. Now, let me just share something with you personally. For me, there is nothing more exciting than leading another person to Jesus Christ. You know why, as a Christian, it's like getting saved all over again. I mean, how many of you remember that moment when you, when you reached out to God and you felt it, you knew it, like you became a new person, and, and it was like the whole world was now different, and you were different, and and there was such joy inside of you and love, and you couldn't explain any of it because you're like, I know this isn't for me, but man, you knew you found what you needed. Who remembers that? You knew it. It's just like, this is it. I don't want this to ever end. You know how you experience that again is to lead somebody else into it. Lead somebody else into that same place And I'm telling you, you feel it yourself. You get that same rush of like, man, the spirit, it just happened. Life just came out of death. A miracle just occurred. And I got to be a part of it. That is what life is. That is what the Christian mission is about. And we got to recapture some of that that, that passion and that sense of urgency of people need Jesus Christ. And we as the church are the only ones who have that message. And it is the most important message in the entire world, in all of creation. When we stand before God, He's not going to ask anything but did you know Jesus and does Jesus know you? That's all that's going to matter. Everything else, everything else will go away. And so this is spiritual warfare, and we are called to get right in the middle of it. But not to fight as the world fights. We aren't here to conquer, but to bring the message of hope and freedom to those who are trapped in darkness. Now notice I said we're not here to conquer. We're here to liberate. 
And there is a difference in mindset there. And we get the conquering ideal in our head that we need to go in and we need to win when God says, no, your win is when people come out of that darkness of needing to conquer into the light and find freedom. That's the win. And when we get into a liberation mindset, it changes how we see people. It changes how we engage the mission. It changes our values and our goals. And so we don't fight as the world fights. We fight by the Spirit and the truth of God. And we win by being faithful through and despite hardships. I mean, Paul just listed off all of that stuff that he's like, here's my resume. Here's what it means to be an ambassador for Christ. And yet, he has joy in his heart. He rejoices when people come to know him. And so we fight by what? By purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love, by truthful speech and the power of God with the weapons of righteousness. You know what that is? This is what we pursue in our faith. These are the things of discipleship. By becoming a person of purity in spirit and in action, by becoming a person who knows right from wrong, who has a a saving knowledge not only of Jesus, but a working knowledge of the Scripture so that it informs their lives. And it's how we make decisions, and it's how we process the world around us. All of that works together. That's how we fight. Again, not to conquer, but to liberate. And so as we pursue this, it makes our appeals as God's ambassadors effective. Because people see the love, they see the result of a life lived by the righteousness of God, and they see how different you are. They see the peace in your life. They see that that the world's going crazy around you, and yet you're steadfast in prayer and in faith and even though it rattles you from time to time, you don't ever lose your faith. You, you know, it may stretch your faith a little bit. It may push you to a point that you're like, oh God, I don't know what's going on. You may even reach that point where, where Paul was where he says, I despaired even of life. And then you look back and say, but God brought me through. God brought me through it. And they see that in your life. And I don't care who you are, they say, I want that. I want that. How do I get that? And it makes our witness effective. But there's another step that we have to take in this. And this is where he tells them, widen your heart. You see, in the conquering mindset... We don't widen our heart. What do we do? We increase our aggressiveness and our resolve to to win. But in the liberation mindset, we widen our heart to people and say, you know what? People need love. People need to be freed. And if we don't widen our hearts to the gospel and to the things of God, 
then we limit our own ability to be effective for his kingdom. We don't limit God's ability. God can do whatever he wants, but we limit our own ability to be able to embrace it and do it. You see, it takes an intentional act on our part, and I mean this, intentional act on our part to open our hearts to people. And if you're an introvert like I am, it takes a doubly intentional act <laughs> to, to widen your heart and open up and say, you know what, it's okay. Paul opened his heart to these people. And you know what happened? He got hurt. <laughs> he did. They falsely criticized him. They lied about him. They unfairly treated him. They, they made false accusations. And yet here he is doing what? Writing a letter saying, hey, I love you guys. I love all of you. And God loves you. And you need to follow him. And, and don't get caught up in this stuff. It's, it's really about the gospel. And he just keeps pushing them back to Jesus over and over. And he even said, I've already forgiven you if, in fact, there was even anything to forgive. I mean, he just lets all that stuff just slide right off of him and say, you know what? That doesn't matter. What matters is that you follow God. What matters is that you are reconciled to Him. That's what I want to see. And so he tells them, look, he says, we have spoken freely to you, Corinthians. Our heart is wide open. You are not restricted by us, but you are restricted in your own affections. What does he mean by that? Your own affections. He says your own feelings. Your own feelings are holding you back back from doing the things God wants you to do. And I find it interesting. He, he doesn't get into an argument with them about what's right or wrong. He just goes straight to the heart of your feelings are out of place. Anybody ever had to deal with that? Find out your feelings are out of place? I don't know if there's a harder thing to just get under control and change than when our feelings are out of place. Because here's the thing about feelings. They're not rational, right? Have you ever just been confused by your own feelings? And you're like, you know what? I don't know why I feel this way. And you know in your head that maybe you shouldn't or you're just trying to make sense. And yet there it is. There's this feeling that, that won't go away and it seems to be dominating your life and it seems to just have hold of you that's the struggle, and that's what Paul says. Look, you're being restricted in your faith. You're being held back because you're trusting your feelings over the truth. Sometimes, I'm not saying we have to be stoic, okay? I look at feelings in the human life like the check engine light on the, on the car. Okay, it, it doesn't tell you exactly what's wrong. It just tells you something needs attention. Now, you know, if your check engine light comes on, how many of you are convinced that within the next 20 feet, the car is going to blow up? You know, it's like, oh, that's it. It's over. <laughs> check engine light's on. How many of you in here ignore it? Nah, it doesn't matter. You know, both of those are wrong. <laughs> What's it saying? It's like, hey, stop and pay attention. Well, that's what our own feelings many times are. They're just like the check engine light. It's like, hey, something's out of place. Now, is it possible our feelings many times are based on false information, bad information? Absolutely. 
And so we can get all worked up and we can get our, our emotions all in a whirl. And then we find out the truth and it's like, oh, you know what? That was all completely unnecessary. Or maybe we work ourselves up and we find out, oh, there's a little bit of truth to it. And so, yeah, it was something that needed attention, but it didn't need all this added anxiety that I added on to it. You see, what he says is they're being restricted because they're trusting their feelings over the truth. And that's how, why he said we win by knowledge. We fight by knowledge, by purity. We don't fight because we get all riled up and, and into it. No, rah, rah, okay, I'm going to make it. You know, that lasts until the first speed bump. But the truth is steady. The truth maintains us. And if we want to see heavenly results in this world, we have to be guided by the truth. And the truth tells us to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. The truth says, pray for your enemy and love those, pray, love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you. That's the truth. Feelings will say, don't do any of those things, right? Feelings say, uh, I don't like you, and I don't like you, and I don't like you, and you're okay. You know, and we just make a decision. That's it, because that's what feelings do. But if we are guided by the truth, then we can have an intentional act of widening our heart to the things of the gospel, even when we don't feel like it. Because we're guided by truth, not by feeling. And so after all this time, it's amazing how Paul kind of zeroes in. You notice how he just like a surgeon just zeroed in on, hey, Corinthians, this is your problem. They've had all kinds of sins. They've had all kinds of division. They've had all this stuff. And he's addressed some of it here. But he just fired a laser shot right in on you're restricted by your feelings. Stop being guided by your feelings. And then he just, he throws it in there. Look what he says. He says, verse 12, you are not restricted by us, but you are restricted in your own affections. 13, in return, I speak as to children. That's a dig in case you didn't catch that. Paul's showing his frustration a little bit right here. He says, widen your hearts also. See, there comes a point we know what is it about being a child. Being a child We're driven by feelings. But as we become adults, we learn to put feelings in their proper place and to follow truth and what is right. And he's telling them they're still immature in their faith because their feelings have a place of importance that it shouldn't. He never tells them to be stoic. He doesn't tell them their feelings should never happen. That is not what I am saying. That's not what Paul is saying. Feelings are feelings. You have them. They happen. God gave them to you. Feelings are not evil. But they cannot reign supreme either. You have to put them in the proper place or we remain children in the faith. And in order to be ambassadors for Christ, effective ambassadors for Christ, we have to be mature in our thinking and in our faith because that's when we are effective. That's when we can share the message effectively, truthfully, and fully. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you, and Lord, we thank you so much for all that you have done. God, that you gave your Son on the cross for us. And Lord, may we never lose sight 
of who we are because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But God, as we walk in the faith of the gospel, God, make us effective ambassadors for you. That like Paul, we would tell people, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. God, that we would never shrink from sharing the gospel with somebody who who is seeking, who is looking for truth. God, I pray that our lives would be an example of the power of the gospel. And God, that we would widen our hearts to the mission and the kingdom that you have called us to serve. That we would widen our hearts. So that you are glorified. God, that we would decrease, you would increase. God, use us to share your love and your kingdom with others. God, it's in Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen.